Alright everybody, welcome back to uh, another episode of the Ring of Gadgets podcast, Ramblings of Gadgets, where we're going to be talking about uh, our favorite artists and bands and, uh, you know, some hot takes, some uh, favorite songs and hidden gems and uh, all that good stuff. My name is Helke Jonsson and with me today are... Einar Merlin Cortez, the drummer. And Gisli Thor Ingolson, the pianist and uh, backup vocalist. And keyboardist and synthesizer genius. And, and... <laughs> yes. Our, everything with keys on it. And our band's resident stoner. Anyway. Um... <laughs> yeah, man. Which is why this is going to be a fun episode. It, 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 isn't that <laughs> Stony? Isn't he our stoner? He's, his name is Stony. His name isn't Stony. <laughs> no, it's not even close. <laughs> Tene. That's not even his name, that's his nickname. Ah, uh, fuck that. <laughs> still stony. Uh, today, we are talking about uh, the English rock band Pink Floyd. Um, yeah. This is going to be a big one and a fun one, and I'm not entirely sure what to expect from you guys today. Uh, Pink Floyd are an English rock band formed in London in 1964 is what I just read now on Wikipedia and you know they are credited here as progressive rock art rock, experimental rock, psychedelia and space rock um, yeah throw throw a avant-garde in there and you've covered all the bases pretty much um, I wouldn't call... Uh, uh, okay, yeah, may, maybe their second album was space rock, but the rest of them weren't that space rocky, in, in my opinion. Yeah, but I think all those genres they incorporate like different uh, different periods, different yeah, albums. Yeah, yeah, it could be. Yeah, I guess so. But uh, Pink Floyd are perhaps best known for their 70s period, which was very sort of progressive. Um, with albums like Dark Side of the Moon, Wish You Were Here, Animals, The Wall, and, you know, lots of smash hits. And, you know, this is one of those bands that sort of balances very well being artistic and extremely successful. Just let us know when you're done reading Wikipedia so we can actually start the episode. That wasn't Wikipedia, that was just me. <laughs> <laughs> Because I was reading, I, I was actually reading Wikipedia, and you named the albums perfectly in order. So, uh, I mean, that okay. is the order that from you know best known and then down. <laughs> I I would say wall the wall is higher than animals, and and yeah. being best uh, better known. Yeah, that's that's true. That's probably true. Yeah, but uh, anyway, we have as usual. Uh, four different questions uh, that we are going to be asking ourselves and each other during the course of this episode. And let's just get right down to the first question of today, which is the song that got us into the band. Um, now, this one was kind of hard to exactly pinpoint, but I think, um, you know, it's it's kind of the... The same case as in the Queen episode, my dad is also a massive Pink Floyd fan. 
So I sort of grew up listening to Pink Floyd uh, as a kid. But I didn't really pay as much attention to it back then as I did with Queen. I always thought Pink Floyd were kind of, you know, this weird old man band that my dad liked. Uh, And then I was actually um, in secondary school, uh, the equivalent to like high school or college in America. Although I'm not quite sure. Uh, Education systems are weird. Anyway, it was in a dorm. And I walked into my friend's dorm room. And he was watching uh, Wizard of Oz, but with Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon (laughs) playing underneath. Which is an extremely stoner thing to do. Dorm scene, like... (laughs) Yes. Uh, Needless to say, he was a stoner. But uh, he was also a very good friend of mine with a great taste in music. Uh, And we were watching it together. And all of a sudden, the great gig in the sky starts playing. And I'm like, what is that? And he's like, oh, it's a great gig in the sky. And I was like, holy shit. How come I haven't heard this before? And I still don't know why I hadn't heard it before then. I was like 17, 18 back then. Uh, But that was like a pivotal moment in my life. Not just in discovering Pink Floyd, but just on my musical journey to begin with. It 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 was a big moment for me. And I think that was a tipping point where I really started getting into... You know, Prague, basically. Sort of getting into Pink Floyd and Rush and um, Focus and General Giant and all those bands. So, yeah. Um, my song that got me into the band is Great King in the Sky. Cool. That is a great song. Yeah, really good song, I think. Did it Did yeah. it actually start out as a practical joke or is that like a urban legend? Have you guys practical heard that? Practical joke? No, I haven't heard that. Please do tell. Uh, so the story goes, uh, Rick Wright, who uh, like canonically was like, uh, I guess like the underfoot character in uh, in Pink Floyd. You know, Roger Waters obviously had a, a huge ego. And, uh, uh, you know, they were all big bombastic guys and he was more of a like a quiet reserve type. Uh, so they would, you know, play pranks on him sometimes. Uh and in this story, he basically had written this piano piece thing. There was just these really interesting, cool, jazzy uh, chords. And he, he was wondering if they'd put it on the new album, which was which would become Dark Side of the Moon. And they put him into a booth to play it and got this uh, female scat singer and basically told her to just do something random over it and it would be like it would come out bad and 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 funny and that would be like a joke on Rick for <laughs> uh for wanting to put that weird uh modal jazz piano thing on the album but you know then it just like turned out amazing in the studio and they were like oh shit we're putting that on the album that's the story uh, that I've heard but I don't know if it's true cuz it sounds urban legendy yeah i'm not seeing any anything about that here on uh, on Wikipedia and also I haven't heard that story before 
what I have heard is that uh, Richard Wright wrote the chord progression for this song to be used in a documentary of some sort. Hmm. But then uh, it just wasn't used. So he had this chord progression lying around for a few years until it just fit into this song. Uh, yeah. f- fit for this album. I mean... That makes. I mean, that sounds a lot less urban legendy. I can. I can believe that a lot more. I've also heard a story that one of the one of the things that uh, they were like uh, fighting about uh, before the band kind of broke up and, and Roger Waters left was that Roger Waters had signed off on a Great Kick in the Sky being used as uh, uh, for a painkiller commercial <laughs> in in England. Pretty sure that one's true. Yeah. So it uh, looks like it uh, was used for an analgesic in 1990. Yeah. Like an ibuprofen type of thing. I'm, I'm actually reading uh, the Wikipedia article about this song. And mm-hmm. this is a quote from Roger Waters. Um, where they were about to um, you know, have the, the singer. His name is Claire Torrey. Uh, mm-hmm. Who was suggested by Alan Parsons. And Roger Waters says, I have no idea whose idea it was to have someone wailing on it. Claire came into the studio one day and said, and we said, there's no lyrics. It's about dying. Have a bit of sing on that, girl. And I think she only did one take. And we all said, wow, that's done. Here's your 60 quid. <laughs> yeah, but also lower in the same article is from her. And she, she this wasn't her first take. Yeah, there's there's a lot of urban legends about this song. I think there are uh, just in, a lot of urban legends surrounding this album in particular. Yeah, and this band as a whole, they are very they're mythical. Yeah, I was looking this up, um, and I saw that every single song on Dark Side of the Moon has its own Wikipedia article. So <laughs> yeah, that's how important does. this band is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that album in particular. Can't believe this singer isn't more famous yeah i mean i've heard she kind of got shafted like you just read a roger Waters quote where he's like yeah here's your 60 quid i think that was all the money she got um, yeah. i don't think she got ro- royalties she sued for royalties oh did she did she in in, in 2005 they reached an out-of-court settlement they haven't disclosed what, what the sum is, but now the song is uh, co-credited to Richard Wright and Claire Tory. Oh, wow. Oh, well, that's well, good. That's, yeah, that's nice. Uh, who wants to go next? Amos, what about you? So, uh, yeah, I'll go next. The song that I don't actually have a song that got me into Pink Floyd. Hmm. It is more an album that got me into them. I, right. I was uh, when I was a teenager. I was r- really depressed. Uh, I went to psychiatric ward for a couple of months, but my mother told me to take this album with and listen to it. And I think I wore the CD down. <laughs> and it was it was actually Dark Side of the Moon. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, I I had watched the wall as a kid. 
very heavy movie for a kid to watch, but okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yeah, uh, while I was in this psychiatric ward, breathe. It it always helped calm me down when I was getting too stressful. Hmm. Interesting. So that's beautiful, man. Ju- just actually just listening to it and breathing in rhythm with the music helped calm me down. Hmm. So I used that a lot and still do to this day. Just. Yeah. I mean, doesn't the song start with like a heartbeat at like the exact uh, beat of a healthy human heart? Yeah. So it like puts you in a very like relaxed and uh, easy rhythm. Yeah. It is a very relaxing song. And just most of the album is that way, to me at least. Yeah, and also just that first chord that David Gilmer hits. So beautiful. That 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 arpeggiated chord it always hits. It, it hits the spot just right. Yeah, I mean his chord voicings are just. He he isn't. Underrated, overrated guitar player. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's one way to put it. Well, he's just exactly rated the way that he is to me. We're like, (laughs) he deserves the... He's um, accurately rated. Yes, yes. That's what I'm trying to say. (laughs) Well, I I, I disagree because... uh, I mean, yes, he he is a great guitar player, but he's not one of those... Uh, of course, he's not one of those shred guitar players or technically good guitar players. But he always found the chords that sound just right. Yeah. Yeah, it's very methodical. And, like, the sound of every note is really thought out and, uh, like, given space, I guess. So you're thinking you're saying he's overrated as a lead player and underrated as a rhythm player. Yeah. Huh. It's an interesting yeah, take. I, I can <laughs> I can see that. I mean, that's what everybody thinks of with David Gilmour is the solos, but he did some really interesting work also. You know, in the rhythm side of things. Yeah. yeah. J- just what he could do with a guitar to set up a mood for a verse. I mean, uh, there are very few guitar players that can do that like he does. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's amazing. He's one of the all-time greats, you know. Absolutely. Like I said, his solo playing, it's not for me. I understand where people come from when they when they use him as an example of a good guitar solo, but I can't particularly I mean, I've heard his licks being played by so many other guitar players. You're on thin ice here, man. Just letting you know. I know. I know. Thin ice. What the hell, kid? Did you used to cover Pink Floyd? Is that what? Yes. (laughs) As a matter of fact, I have been in a Pink Floyd cover band. Your band before Ring of Gages was a Pink Floyd cover band, wasn't it? Yes. (laughs) Yes. And that, that's that's my point. 
I mean, he's, he wrote such great material that anyone and everyone can play it, but no one wrote that before he, him. Yeah, and no one really had a similar sound. I mean, he created the cliches so everyone else could drive them to the ground. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. But they are like, some but, fucking amazing cliches, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean you, you can say that Kirk Hammett did the same thing with the wah pedal. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. I I I see where you're coming from, but even though Jimi Hendrix did, did Jimi Hendrix did the wah pedal better. Yeah, Jimi Hendrix did everything before everyone else. <laughs> uh, that's another episode. Mickbox <laughs> was the best uh, wah guitar player. Who? Mickbox man from Uriah Heep. Check him out. Ah, Mickbox. Yeah, I I know Mickbox. Mm. I've met Mickbox. That's awesome. But yeah, we're getting off topic since we were talking about wah guitarists. Mick Box has actually hurt Antwerka. That is amazing to hear. Eh? Yeah? Oh yeah, was remember that, that Polish guy, uh, the yeah. reporter? Yeah, he showed it to him. Yeah, he, the, the guy who did an interview with us, he sent uh, Mick Box Antwerka. That's so, his take on it. That is so great. Gisli, how hard are you fanboying right now? <laughs> it's very hard. <laughs> but let's save this for the Uriah Heap uh, episode. Yeah. Yeah. But I just I just want to get one thing clarified. Like, Einar, are you saying that you don't like David Gilmour's solos? I love I, I love David Gilmour's solos. Okay. But okay. I I th- I think <laughs> that his soloing style is so ambiguous that anyone who has that ability which is a lot of people can perform that yeah i mean yeah. it's it's simple but, but i think but, that's but also what's... the one that yeah he's the one that wrote that i'm i'm not saying that he is bad i'm saying he's amazing at creating nice simple melodies that anyone and everyone can hum and sing and yeah. remember, but he doesn't shred like uh, Van Halen or something. But is that like the necessary requirement to be an amazing guitar player, though? No, Definitely I, I never said that. But that it makes him unique. Yeah, you know, it makes it makes him stand out uh, from a, a lot of other uh, guitarists that get put in that category, like greatest ever. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Most like it, lists that you'll see online or in magazines talking about like the greatest ever guitarists will have like fifty shred- shredders, you know, and like super fast technical guys, and then David Gilmore somewhere at the top. Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they're like there are two guys that can play in that style, uh, in my opinion, and do it well. And that's David Gilmore and Eric Clapton. Yeah, there is a lot of Eric Clapton uh, influence, I agree. Yeah, Yeah, these slow lead lines that you can hum afterwards. So they used to call them slow hand. Yeah, they still do. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) But they used to, too. Now he's just slow mind (laughs) because of his... (laughs) Because of all the fucking opium. His vaccine denial just... (laughs) All right, yeah, we right. are veering off topic too much here. 
Wait, Gisli had you said yours. No, no. I have not. Uh, so you guys both uh, picked songs from Dark Side of the Moon. Uh, yes. Which is natural, I guess. It's obviously not just Pink Floyd's, uh, you know, most important album. It's just one of the most important albums in music history, in my opinion. Definitely. Uh, yeah, I mean, we yeah, touched and, upon and, it in the last episode in the Queen on the pantheon of great albums. You got A Night at the Opera, Dark Side of the Moon, and Lamb L- L- Down on Broadway. Yeah, in terms of Prague, anyway. Uh, but yeah, I'm uh, similar to you guys. I grew up on Pink Floyd. Uh, my dad would play it all the time, uh, and it was just around everywhere. Uh, and I pretty much always loved it from the beginning. I was mostly into the Wall uh, when I was really young, because it's like uh, it's a musical theater piece, really, and yeah. I like musicals. And then obviously I got into uh, Dark Side of the Moon was around the time I started smoking weed. Obviously, I would listen to it like religiously, <laughs> uh, and had that whole like period of just being that guy who just wanted to smoke weed and and like listen to Pink Floyd under his Pink Floyd poster. Uh, I, I ah, think college. Uh, so I can't really uh, name like a song that got me into them, but I'll, I'll I'll say a song that got me like maybe like back into them or like in, thinking about them in a different way. Uh, I would uh, all throughout my teenage years, basically, I, me, and some of my friends, in particularly uh, in particular Dore, uh, one of my best friends. We were like just discovering all of the 60s and 70s in terms of music, just one band at a time and listening to everything and like uh, finding old uh, live videos on YouTube and stuff like that. And uh, Pink Floyd at the time to me was still this like mythical thing. Like I didn't really know anything about them. There was just the music and uh, there was no face. There was just that weird, uh, what is it, a trapezoid? Uh, the thing, the thing, yeah, the prism, yeah, and like, if you found live uh, performances on YouTube, it was like huge shows, and all you could see was like the big balloons they were blowing up, and uh, all the production and the lights. Uh, so it didn't really feel like I I knew anything about the guys until uh, my friend Tore uh, one day showed me. Uh, uh, live at Pompeii, Pink Floyd Live at Pompeii, which was a totally different like way of uh, discovering them, like actually seeing them play a live gig where there's no distractions, no audience, no huge productions. It's just them. And I really enjoyed uh, watching that movie, uh, both for the performances themselves and also on the director's cut. You get a lot of like fun uh, behind the scenes stuff of them eating oysters and, and stuff like that. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, watching that documentary, uh, uh, the song Echoes kind of like hit me for the first time. And I was like, holy shit, this is like as good as Dark Side of the Moon easily. And I'm seeing it, like I'm seeing it happen. I'm seeing, uh, Rick, uh, playing the keys and I don't know, it was a, it got me into Pink Floyd in a different way, a band that I had always been into, but yeah, then it. Uh, hearing echoes was like wow there's still something to discover from these guys yeah echoes is fantastic track and you know one of my (laughs) favorites certainly 
And it's sort of is one of the standout tracks from their earlier records, to be sure. Yeah. I mean, Medley is like right uh, on the cusp. I think they they made Medley. They didn't actually put it as a early album. No, that's what I'm saying. It's like right on the cusp from when we go from their early work into like their legendary work today. It's like on, yeah. in uh, uh, Live at Pompeii, their t- the last album they released was Medley. And they're playing songs from that, including uh, Echoes. But uh, then they're talking about this new album that they're writing, and it's very exciting. And it's about, uh, you know, just the life of a man and, and death and stuff like that. And that's Dark Side of the Moon. They're, they were working on it at the time. So, yeah, Medley kind of straddles uh, those two eras of Pink Floyd. The sort of early era and the legendary era. Uh, I would just like to point out that the album is called Metal, not Metley. Thank you. Oh, Thank really? You. Is it not <laughs> pronounced Metley? I, that's I've only seen it written written down. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, metal. Yeah. Like yeah. To us in meddling with things, I get that. Yeah. I get yeah. that now. Yeah. See, there's still but, there's still new things to discover. Yeah. After all I, this time, I'd put like. Uh, Amagama, Adam Hart, Mother, Metal, and Obscured by Clouds. I'd put them in the middle of their career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And th- then you get the, the really weird th- stuff in the beginning. Yeah, you get Piper at the Gates of Dawn, Social Full Secrets, and all that. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, of course, the, the singles way before that Arnold Lane and everything yeah. like that. Before mm. that. Uh, so good. But but yeah, yeah they, you 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 you'd put echoes as the what got you back into uh, got got you into appreciating uh, Pink Floyd as absolutely. musicians. Just because you mentioned uh, Sasha Full of Secrets, I wanted to say that uh, they also play Sasha Full of Secrets on the uh, uh, Live with Pompeii uh, documentary. Yeah. And in my opinion, that's really the only way to enjoy that song because a lot of it is literally just them making noises. Like atonal, atonal noises that are supposed to represent the chaos of battle or something. Yeah. And it, yeah. In my opinion, not that great to listen to on vinyl, but a lot of fun to just watch them go ham on their instruments in in this uh, ruined Roman, ancient Roman city. Yeah, the arrangement is better at in the Pompeii version as well. I think. Yeah. There's yeah. More life in the band. Actually, I'm not even sure there is drumming on the original. No, I don't think there is. I don't. Well, he must have done something. I think there is drumming uh, in the first part, but not. Yeah, the but not in the later, in. the beautiful part. Uh. Yeah. Guys, did you know that uh, an Icelandic cellist actually played on Adam Hartmother? Oh yeah, really? and the uh, yeah the the reemergence is that's the. Song or, or part, I guess, right? Yeah, part six. Yeah, I did know that. That was an Icelander, and it's awesome. I did not know that. That's pretty interesting. Uh, now, we, it's time for the um, second section of this episode. Wow, we're already 30 minutes in. Jesus, there's a lot to talk <laughs> about here. Oh, yes, this, this is going to be the longest one. Well, anyway... Um, it is time for the Guilty Pleasures slash Deep Cuts segment. Uh, and there is a 
lot to pick here. Uh, a lot to unpack. I mean, Pink Floyd, they, they kind of have this interesting place in rock history where they had already written like seven or eight albums before they made their first hit. Uh, let's see, I'm trying to count these here. Seven albums. Dark Side of the Moon is their eighth album. And that's the first yep. one that really, you know, uh, gets radio play. And, you know, the other ones are kind of uh, albums that people kind of dive into after the fact. Is that is that really the case? Was Was Animals not getting radio play? Animals is afterwards. Yeah. Oh really? Oh yeah, that's right. I have it backwards. Uh, uh, metal was metal not getting radio play? No, not not that much. I mean, the main song on metal, of course, is twenty plus minutes. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, and th- and all that, the other ones gonna... are like pretty out there and weird. Yeah, I mean, okay, w- one of these days is an amazing metal song. Yeah, it certainly is. Just a little <laughs> bit ahead of its time. Yeah, but yeah, I'm. I'm kind of stumped here because um, before I knew it was going to be Guilty Pleasure slash Deep Cuts, I had a Guilty Pleasure song. But now I kind of want to pick a Deep Cut. But now Gisli has already talked about it, which is a sauce full of secrets. <laughs> so I think we're going to go back to my Guilty Pleasure song, which is so from men. Metal, and it's called San Tropez. I oh just, yeah, oh. that's a very like out, out of character song for uh, Pink Floyd. Extremely, one, yes. Nonetheless, <clears throat> it's very weird, but I just, I I just think it's nice. It's just this. Yeah, it is really nice. Chill jazz song, you know, sort of. Yeah, and the lyrics are about like chilling in on vacation. In yeah, a, exactly. Like a warm place. It's just, I don't know. It's just a nice song. I like it. Yeah. I think I think that's a great uh, pick. I think a lot of people would be surprised if you played that to them and told them it was Pink Floyd. Definitely, which is uh, part of why I kind of wanted to uh, give it a shout out. Yeah, I had actually forgotten this song. When, yeah, when I was making my list, it would have been higher on the ratings if I'd remembered it. <laughs> yeah, people but people kind of forget I about it, remember but I just, it. It's a nice breather because. Um, you know, Echoes is very long and heavy, and it's nice to get something sort of nice and easy to listen to before that. Yeah, totally. Not that Echoes is a drag to get through, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I get it. There's it a lot lighter. Yeah. It's like it, a nice little appetizer before the main course. It's one of the sort of yeah. most optimistic-sounding songs that I remember Pink Floyd ever making. Yeah, it, I think it's kind of them like attempting to just be like pop, like pop band. <laughs> Maybe they, like th- this is as happy and poppy as they can possibly get. <laughs> uh, all right, shall we get to uh, your picks? I'm sure there's a lot to talk about here. Uh, Einar, why don't you go? Yes, uh, I was gonna go with a long song. Okay. But uh, Gisli picked Echo, so I'm gonna keep that at bay. <laughs> there are so many. Just so there, there are so, so many. Long. But 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 I was gonna go with Adam Hart Mother Sweet. 
Oh, bro. But yeah, th- then I started thinking, what is a song that is completely out there, but doesn't quite fit what people think of as Pink Floyd? And there are two songs that I came up with, and I can't pick between them. Uh, we'll, we'll help you. The Nile song and The Gnome. Oh, <laughs> great picks, both of them. Uh, I, I was thinking about uh, making mine The Gnome. But <laughs> glad you <laughs> mentioned it. The yeah, Gnome is, so- a, is a freaking awesome, hilarious song. Yeah, to play for people. This is yeah, why I didn't know what to, to expect with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> to see people's face when you play them the gnome and tell them this is the these are the same guys that did uh, for, like in the wall. Yeah. yeah, I would do that sometimes at like uh, stoner parties, I guess, because I went to a lot of those. Oh, really? Still do. <laughs> and you know, people would be like, "Yeah, yeah, put on some Pink Floyd, man. I'm in that kind of mood." And if I was feeling, you know, trollish, I would, I would put on the uh, gnome. I, I, I did the same. I, I, I don't do drugs, but a lot of my friends when I was yeah. younger do. So, you, so you have fun did. fucking with them. Oh yes, <laughs> I, I played all the, I played all the deep cuts and wrong songs for them. <laughs> I was hated by the stoners <laughs> in my friends group. I mean, if they hated you for playing the gnome, then they're just dumbasses, you know. Well, yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, yeah, there the gnome is one of those songs that really could only be on Piper of the Gates of Dawn in my opinion, you know. Ooh. The only reason it works is because of Sid Barrett being actually, this yeah. kind of mad genius. I actually forgot about Interstellar Overdrive. That's a great oh, song that's as a, well. That's such a great song as well. I mean, Piper of the Gates of Dawn is a freaking great album. Yeah, I mean, yes, in, in my in uh, my opinion, uh, you know, they started off really high and then they kind of dipped a little bit, uh, and until they got back on their feet with metal, you know. But I would consider Piper at the Gates of Dawn not that much uh, worse of an album than uh, metal. Yeah, I think that's one of their earlier records that I have listened to the most. Yeah, and the other song I was talking about. The Nile song. Yeah, the Nile song. That's from uh, Moore, right? Yeah. Yeah. I I haven't, I actually haven't heard any other song from that album. Oh really? Hmm. But uh, the Nile song, I I was, this was in like the early days of the internet, like ninety eight nine. I was trying to find out, uh, what was the oldest metal song. <laughs> and this song kept coming up. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a contender. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it comes out in 1969, the same year Black Sabbath releases their first. Yeah, but also like Black Sabbath is a different kind of metal. I think like this type of vocalization. Like, I was steady by the lion. We didn't really yeah. see anyone else doing that until like the 90s, early 90s. Yeah, exactly. Somebody tell me that you... Like, that's the kind that, that's of the same kind grungy. of vibe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It is yeah. a bit crunchy. I hadn't thought of that. But uh, more is uh, actually a film score. I haven't yeah, seen the movie. Yeah. 
<laughs> Same here, but I listened to the album a lot. <laughs> it didn't really work. The guy's plan didn't really work. Like, I'll have Pink Floyd score my movie and then everyone will have to see it. <laughs> but no, we just buy the soundtrack, dude. Oh. At that point, they really hadn't done... That's true, yeah. It's third not, album, so... They, they weren't really a household name. Although, mm. I mean, Piper did all right, and Arnold Lane was kind of a radio hit. I mean, they weren't nobodies. Yeah, yeah they definitely were nobodies, but they definitely weren't the superstars they were after Dark Side of the Moon. Ah, no. That's for definitely sure. Not. I mean, th- they were BBC hits with their uh, first videos. I mean, have you seen that shit? Yes. I- I- I'd be so embarrassed to be in one of those videos. Let's make one. <laughs> <laughs> I We're haven't just seen having that fun actually. on a beach with a mannequin. Yeah, it's just them <laughs> screwing around with a tape yeah. recorder and whatever was around. Yeah. Oh man. But hey, it was the sixties, man. Yeah. yeah. But but they be they became these I think like BBC sweethearts that this uh, funny quirky band that, yeah. that s- some people like to smoke pot to and just have fun with. Mm. But then they they lost Sid Barrett and had just figured out, hey, we've got to pay bills. Let's yeah. write some real music. <laughs> yeah, well, they lost Sid Barrett and they had to, like, figure out how to reinvent themselves. That, that is my take anyway. Yeah. And, like, every album before... Most people would probably say before Dark Side of the Moon. I would say before Metal. Like, every album before then is them just figuring out, like, who are we as a band? Now that we're no longer just following whatever this mad genius says, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, they they started really getting into a groove with Amagama. Mm-hmm. And th- that's where they... what That's where they found their proc, I think. Yeah. A Saucer mm-hmm. Full of Secrets is more space rock. Mm-hmm. It's, it's um, psychedelic. Yeah. Amagama, it's on that verge. Yeah, true. And then they made like a what is, in my opinion, a prog rock like epic masterpiece with the Adam Hart Mother Suite. But, yeah. But even parts of that album are just like hard to listen to because <laughs> yeah. there, there's so much experimentation going on. I mean... Just the the last song on Adam Hartmother, Alan's Psychedelic Breakfast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> as much as I love Pink Floyd, this is a hot take. I I just I despise that track. <laughs> I I won't even call it a song. It's just a guy rambling into a microphone <laughs> and some sound effects. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, no no offense to anyone who who thinks it's awesome and experimental i totally get that i have other similar things that i i really enjoy but i don't know alan psychedelic breakfast i just can't get into it to be fair they kind of performed that track on live at pompeii yeah because they had breakfast yeah (laughs) indeed and that's that that, those are some of the best parts of live at pompeii so maybe i do like alan psychedelic breakfast exactly performed as a, a sort of live video art piece we're making discoveries. I mean, <laughs> I can still uh, quote a lot of the like random shit they say on that documentary. 
There's one part yeah. where uh, uh, Roger Waters and David Gilmore are eating oysters, while uh, Rick Wright is eating some kind of sub sandwich that seems to be from like a sandwich shop, and he's asking them like, "Oh, are the oysters all right?" And they're going, "Oh, the oysters are excellent. They're all high as hell." <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, David Gilmore goes, are they French oysters, do you think? And uh, Roger Water goes, I believe oysters transcend national barriers. <laughs> That's a really nice moment. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, what was the song again? <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it was two. It was the Gnome and the Nile song. Uh, yeah. It's a toss-up between those two. They're, they're kind of two sides of one coin of how ec- eccentric Pink Floyd could be. Yeah, and like how broad their range is. Yeah, and and both of these songs came out before 1970, mm-hmm. when their heyday so-called is. Yeah. Well, this is one of those uh, times where it sucks to go last. <laughs> <laughs> you guys have taken a lot of the stuff uh, I was going to talk about. Uh I don't know. There's two ways to go here. I could either try to name more, uh, I guess, deep cuts. Uh, Matilda Mother, uh, also from uh, Piper at the Gates, is one of my favorite songs ever. And it's actually a song that I've wanted to like cover for a long time. And I would love it maybe if we could cover it one day. Because I think uh, it could. it's great, but it could be better. Like, the way they were doing uh, Piper at the Gates was very, like, raw. It's all recorded very raw and and stuff like that. But Matilda Mother in particular is a song that I think could use, like, the Dark Side of the Moon treatment of taking it into a studio and really, really hashing it out. Uh, I I had one of those moments just a few days ago. Helki, you remember I sent you a song that I I absolutely love the song, but it just needs better arrangement, mm. better instrumentation. Yeah. Yeah. I don't necessarily think Matilda Mother needs better instrumentation. It just needs more time in the studio and more like studio trickery. Oh, and, yeah, that uh, song. I just listened to yeah. it. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's pretty good. Uh, that, that, that could be a potential deep cut. Or in terms of uh, guilty pleasures, uh, I think it's pretty popular for Pink Floyd fans to not like the final cut. Is that? Am I wrong on that? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think people are beginning to accept it more. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I uh, mean, I, I at least certainly uh, have never had this like aversion to Roger Waters' this angst being shoved into my ears. I love it. Uh, I think some people see that as like the beginning, beginning of the end. For like prime Pink Floyd, is uh, you know the wall and then final cut. But I really I love all of those. I love Roger Waters whining about his dad. I could listen to that all day long. <laughs> uh, Isn't that just and of course, the foundation of the band? Yeah. Well, I mean they they whine about other stuff in the beginning and then it became pretty much only Roger's dad. <laughs> but but yeah, I like have uh, parental issues and I'm gonna sing about it. <laughs> But uh, the later parts of the wall also, uh, you know, the wall kind of stops being a rock album in the later half and just becomes a straight up uh, soundtrack for a musical. Uh, 
Yeah. And I also love all of that. The Trial is a great song, for example. Uh, but yeah, I mean, in terms I, of... I, here's a hot take. Yeah? I actually like the film version of The Trial better. Yeah? Hmm. Uh, I could see that maybe on The Trial, although I think I'm just so used to the album version, I, I couldn't really make a fair judgment on it. But overall, I don't really like the album versions. Uh, no, the, the uh, film versions of the songs on the wall. But yeah, that is a hot take. Yeah, we we actually covered uh, in the flesh, and I thought we did more of the uh, film version more than the album version. Yeah, when we when we did that cover. Yeah, yeah uh, I don't know. Guilty pleasure, uh, Matilda Mother. All right, it's a it's a great song, and everybody knows what the final cut sounds like. You know, <laughs> am I here? Can You're you hear here? me? Yeah, we hear you, bro. Okay. My Discord crashed. Oh, shit. Anyway. Uh, we've all picked our deep cuts and guilty pleasures. Mm-hmm. Now we're getting into the songs that we wish that we had written. All of them. Pretty much, yeah. Guys, <laughs> guys, you're gonna hate me. Uh, for, the third, for the third week in a row, I picked a song that doesn't have drumming in it. <laughs> I just That's... figured it out now. Oh, this man. whole podcast is just you discovering that you took a, a wrong <laughs> turn in life. <laughs> the... So I'm going to be resigning as drummer? The 10th episode, you're going to be our bassoon player? <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so what, what Pink Floyd song doesn't have drums that you love? Goodbye, Blue Sky. Oh, shit. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a very good one. And, and like I've said, the, bo- the both the other times, it's the feel. Yeah. I, I wish I could write music that has th- that sharp turn from happy to sad that goes in Goodbye Blue Sky. I sort of feel like it's both at the same time. Yeah, yeah that's I, what it felt like to me, like melancholic kind of. Yeah, I'm, t- I'm talking about when the deep horns come and it shifts to a minor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know I, what part you're talking about. Yeah. I especially love it in the movie when, like, the yeah. the big black bird sort of rips itself through the the people. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Yeah, that's that's an amazing pick. I, I really get why you would want to have written that. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. It's, it perfectly encapsulates like the the scene that they're setting. Yeah, J- just the uh, the kid saying there's a, an aeroplane up in the sky. Look, mummy. Yeah, I, I when I heard that for the first time, I got goosebumps. Yeah, same here. And to this day, I still get goosebumps when I hear that. Maybe Do- I'm just a goosebumpy guy. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys think uh, that there is uh, something to the whole, like, suffering artist uh, myth, I guess? And, like, you know, Pink Floyd, they lived in London when it, it was bombed to shit. Does that help you, like, having that experience, does that help you write a song like that? With such strong emotions? I mean, it could. I kind of 
don't think we should be romanticizing the depressed artist, you know? No, no, I, I mean, I agree with that. Like, don't don't make it into something to strive for. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know, like, London in particular, and just England, uh, you know, around that time period had so much good music. Yeah, that's a good point. Um... Yeah, I don't, I don't know, know just because that. that song is so obviously about the Blitz, so I don't know. I some sometimes I think like, where's my, <laughs> where's my Blitz? Where's my Berlin Wall? So I can write a, an epic. But but then yeah, I remember <laughs> how I- extremely fortunate I am to not have one of those things in my life. You know. How about a global pandemic? Hey, no, hey. that didn't work at all. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've been very uninspired throughout COVID. Yeah. You're not alone. I'm gonna go off on a tangent here. Yeah. All right. Make it quick. uh, (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Have you guys heard Leaving Beirut from Roger Waters? No. No. It's a song he released in 2004. And it's really good. It's about a road trip he took as a kid. He, He hitchhiked in Lebanon. Oh he hey! Was a teenager, I haven't heard the song. I don't think, but I went to see Roger Waters live with my dad when I was a kid, and he, he, you, he, I, I probably had heard that song then. He he told the he story, put, and and then he played yeah, like a like a comic of of that yeah. story. Well, yeah, okay, we're talking about the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Then I have heard the song, and it was amazing at the time, but I it, haven't really still, looked it up since. It's still amazing. Yeah. Do you remember like uh, the exact story? Because I don't. No, but but that really tugs at the heartstrings. That story. Yeah, it does. I mean, y- you like you said, you went to see him when he came to Iceland. Mm-hmm. H- Helge didn't, even though he's the Pink Floyd guy in the band. <laughs> Am I the Pink Floyd guy in the band? Have you met Gisli? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, w- which one of you were in a Pink Floyd cover band? Well, I think given the chance, Gisli would have just as easily been in a Pink Floyd cover band. No, I wouldn't. Oh, he... I, I wouldn't dare to try to uh, enroach in- on the master's work. Oh. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I totally would. <laughs> yeah, but but you went the the, the recce route instead. Indeed. I mean, I've. Been you know, especially before I started up with you guys, I was just playing any kind of music that was related to like drugs. That was <laughs> that was like the common denominator and everything. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, we are one hour and one minute in, and yes, uh, indeed, we only we... have two songs left. Deep discussions. We have to keep this going. Um, <laughs> I didn't say my pick. For uh, yeah, the song that I wish that I had written, so I'm just gonna go ahead and say it. It was a basic bitch pick, but I'm sticking with it. Comfortably numb. Okay. Yeah, totally get that. Uh, why? Because it's one of the greatest songs ever written in human history. It, just... it has one of those guitar solos I was talking about in the beginning of this episode. It does. It has the guitar solo. Yeah. Two of that them, I was in fact. About in the beginning of this episode. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. This, this song just 
always hit me hits me every time I've heard it, and I've heard it like a million times by now. Still, every time someone puts it on, I'm just transported. Yeah, I mean, I don't feel like I need to <laughs> justify my pick no, of comfortably no, I, numb. I <laughs> Definitely not. I mean, it's very understandable. Yeah. I was wondering yeah. if there was like specific uh, guitar things that they're doing that you would like to have written or vocal things or... I mean, everything basically. But uh, yeah. I think one of the sort of more more overlooked aspects of the song, because everyone talks about the solo, which is mm-hmm. completely understandable since it's, you know, one of the greatest, if not the greatest guitar solo of all time, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> where, where, where are the sweeping arpeggios? <laughs> Shut up, Enoch. <laughs> anyway. I can't believe we've almost made it to th- three episodes and this is the first time I say shut up, Einar. Um, <laughs> it's a record. You've been behaving. Uh, yeah, I, I think the orchestration is a little overlooked in this song. Yep. Uh, Rick Beato, who is a, a music YouTuber, if you don't know who he is, just look him up. He has an episode of um, uh, What Makes This Song Great, where he talks about Comfortably Numb. And he actually has the multi-track, so he can show you every single little aspect that goes into the song. And when he solos the strings, it's just incredible. Like, that could be the song on its own. You mm-hmm. know, it's just amplifying everything else. It's like the elevator version of Nothing Else Matters. What? What? <laughs> have, you, have you heard that? What the fuck did you just say? <laughs> Is my, my mic on? Can you hear me, guys? Yeah. Is my Discord crashing again? We can That's, hear you. You're about to crash. <laughs> no, you haven't heard that. Elevated version no. of Nothing Else Matters. Yeah. It's actually... Uh, it has very good uh, string arrangements by actually, I think, the same guy that did the arrangements for the wall. Interesting. Might have to look that up. You're not just talking about the S&M concert. No. There, there's an actual thing called the elevator version. Huh. Where they have just a string version of... Oh, is it just the strings? Yeah. Ah, I see. Um, but anyway, we're talking, I'm talking about... about I, I, yeah, I'm talking about how the instrumentation works. Yeah. Okay, I've now understood better what you were saying. Yeah, and and yeah, it actually is the same guy who did the wall, the the orchestration of the wall did the orchestration for this particular Metallica song as well. That's cool. Yeah, great orchestrator, clearly. Yeah, if you can make Metallica sound good, come on. I was going to mention the strings as well. I remember uh, when we covered Comfortably Numb for one of uh, Gwydion's Grindavik gigs. Uh, you know, it was my job to play the strings, obviously. And I didn't really think a lot about that song and that, you know, the, the string part of it. When I was practicing for the gig, I was like, oh, that's going to be easy. I just hold down the chords, you know, like the strings do. But then when I actually sat down oh, and no. played it, it, was, it, it, they do, yeah, it's a lot more complex than that. Yeah, there's that old. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I knew I, I, 
I knew I was gonna have to do that part, but just uh, like the chord voicings and stuff, it's just it's not your regular run of the mill like string pads yeah. type of thing. Yeah, it's it's very well done, and mm. I don't know, just everything in the song, just it all feels like it's just a one giant build up to the guitar solo. So that one is sort of the the climax, but. Yeah, I just love every second of this song, so comfortably numb it is. Um, do you have anything further to add before we move on to uh, Gisla's pick? Mm, I have nothing. All okay. right, Gisla. Uh, <laughs> man, the song that I would have liked to have written from Besides Pink Floyd. Besides Great Kick in the Sky. Yeah, exactly. We already played that one, <laughs> yeah. so that's out. But I definitely would have loved to uh, yeah, been the one to take credit for that. Uh, there's another great song, uh, On the Wall, which is pretty much just piano and singing, but it's not like crazy scat singing. Uh, blanking on the name right now. But it's called uh, Nobody Home. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's a that's a really good like piano piece. It's one of the first Pink Floyd songs I I learned on the piano, and still today it's one of the things I like play without thinking about it if I'm sitting at a piano. Yeah, I've I've heard uh, you play it many times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, indeed. Yeah, it's just, ah, it's just such a nice nice little run like up and down the keyboard in the intro part especially. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I could, I, I could go with that one. There's a great orchestration in that song as well. There is, yeah. It, pretty much the whole wall is is very well orchestrated. I think. Who would have thought? Yeah. <laughs> Who would have thunk? Uh, but no, I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to go with dogs. Uh, ah. from animals. Uh, mainly because, I don't know, there, there are things and like elements and vocal lines and stuff in dogs that I feel like in, in, uh, they should be lame. They should be, they shouldn't work. They should be too goofy to like (laughs) actually work in a song, but they absolutely do make it work. And I would, I would like that power. (laughs) <laughs> so that's why that's why I'm picking dogs. Uh, I don't know if you guys are picking up on what I'm talking about, uh, but for example, there's one of the, one line right before I think the first guitar solo, where it goes like, "No, you're just another sad old man, all alone, dying of cancer," like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like if somebody pitched that to me, uh, or if I came up with it, I would be like, "No, man, I'm, I'm gonna feel like a, I'm gonna feel silly playing that." Like, there's something about that line that's like, ah, it's not rock and roll enough. You know, it's too honest, it's too open, or something. But it it absolutely works, and you know, obviously, Dogs is a long ass epic masterpiece. Yeah, uh, I know. I already <laughs> made everybody listen to. Echoes, but here we go again, guys. <laughs> There's also like the the dog noises that they have. Oh yeah, like that's such great, like yeah, such a great like sound design uh, element 
Yeah, they uh, also had that in Seamus. But that's another yeah. thing that could very well be extremely cliche, but it just doesn't sound that way in that particular song. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it, like, should just be goofy and, and dumb, but is actually just mind-blowing and awesome. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Docs is great. Great pick. Yeah. Mm, thanks. We were talking about uh, like cool uh, sound design ideas with that uh, not auto-tuned, but like uh, vocal vocoded uh, dog noises in dogs. Yeah. Uh, sheep sheep also has one of my favorite like cool little uh, sound design tricks from Pink Floyd, uh, which is uh, the part where his voice turns into a synthesizer. You guys remember that? Yeah, that's so cool. It's like I don't remember the line right now, but he holds the last tone like ah, and it turns into a like a sine wave, and it it like seamlessly. It's so cool. How yeah. the fuck did they do that in the seventies? Yeah, it's With one of practice. the smoothest transitions ever. Mm. You know, lots of cool production tricks in Pink Floyd's stuff. So yeah, are we gonna are talk we gonna about influences? Talk about, yeah, you actually. You dropped a bomb on us just earlier tonight about yeah? that. Did I? Yeah. <laughs> that would be uh, the, our song Death Store being very uh, Pink Floyd inspired. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I mean, I think that it's just very simple to say that, yeah, that th- that is the song that's Pink Floyd-ish. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that was that, that was the intention pr- with it pretty much the whole time. I wanted to write something that could like maybe approximate uh the kind of stuff pink floyd was doing it, you know it, i being a keyboardist i i had no key uh keyboard solos in the song because i just wanted i wanted it to like climax in epic guitar solos or an epic guitar solo much like uh comfortably numb also i was just thinking pretty much right now uh the p the piano right at the beginning yeah it's kind of maybe not that similar but like adjacent to uh the synth line in the beginning of sheep i hadn't thought of that before so no that just yeah pretty much just came to me now but i'm sure it was in my subconscious when i was writing it and and yeah that that whole song is just meant to be kind of an homage to Pink Floyd. Uh, I think we did an all right job with it. Yeah. I definitely think uh, Helgi and Guedion did a great job on the solo. Yeah, thank you. We were uh, kind of struggling. What, what do I know? <laughs> I just played drums on it. We, um, Yeah, I think we decided because like we both had about like half a solo each. So yeah. we just decided to just do like a little back and forth. And so every time the chord progression in that song, Death Store, uh, loops during the guitar solo, uh, there's a different guitarist playing the solo. So we just like, we did a bar and then handed the guitar to the other guy and they did a bar. And, you know, (laughs) that's kind of how it was recorded. (laughs) It works really well. And I, you know, this is maybe a bit uh, silly to admit, but 
I still get goosebumps when you, you, you hit that note that both of you hit. Yeah. Like, yeah, that, that even, was... if, even though it's my own song, I still like, oh, that's fucking great. <laughs> yeah, when, when it harmonizes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, uh, that was my idea. It, it, well, it mm-hmm. was kind of an accident, and Guillaume didn't want it. But I was like, no! No, you have to have yes. that! <laughs> yeah, and thank God we, we fought for it, too. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's certainly one of the... the our, or, or just our most obvious... Pink Floyd influence, I guess, but I'm sure there's more in our I think, discography. I think like the the whole beginning section of Dusk, very Pink Floyd. Oh Floyd-ish. yeah, for sure. Uh, and the like part before the finale is also very Pink Floydy. Um, yes. The midsection of Dawn is also kind of Pink Floydy. Um, yeah, I've I've been doing. I don't think it's on the album, but I've been doing it live for a while. Uh, when we hit that first, I think it's a D minor chord in the Floydy uh, part of uh, Dawn. Yeah, uh, I've been do. I've been uh, playing that chord like the first E minor chord in uh, Breathe, like you know, on oh, the keyboards. Yeah, yeah that's because really I'm playing cool. like a, a Wurlitzer type of thing there. I don't think I had that idea when we when we made the album, so it's not on there. But if you if you see Dawn live, you can catch a little pink, like they're not even influenced, just a direct Pink Floyd reference in that uh, in that part. I think it is on the album, actually. Not that you mentioned it, it. It could be. It. I haven't listened to it for a while. But. I think it is, but yeah, it's been a while for me as well. But yeah, that's the those two songs definitely. I think I. Pretty much every time we slow down and like, you know, take things slow and aren't so much metally, I think it's always kind of Pink Floydish, right? Well, yeah, I guess. Do we have any like what? What would you guys say are like slower songs of ours or parts of songs of ours that that aren't Pink Floyd that are like clearly something else? Um, I mean, there's always some element of Pink Floyd, but like. Mm. I don't know. Light of the day isn't very Pink Floydish. That's though. true. I keep forgetting about, about that, that song. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we we never play it. So. Yeah. But yeah, that that is true. That's a that's a, like a chill song and and not very light of the dayish. Uh, no, light. <laughs> not very Pink Floydish at all. I mean, there are melotrons and organs and stuff, but it's not very. Yeah. Well. <laughs> Pink Floyd were very important and influential, but they do not own the organ <laughs> or the Mellotron. <laughs> yeah, thank God. Did they actually use a lot of Mellotron? Uh, not that much, I think. A lot in the early work, but then it was just real strings. Like, yeah. yeah. Golden era Pink Floyd, I think, is all real studio strings. There's no... It's when they could afford it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, as soon as they could afford it. They made use of the tools that were available when they were available. And that's another quote from uh, the Live at Pompeii documentary. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, uh, not this time is not very Pink Floyd-y. I, at least I don't think so. Yeah, that's um, true. Now? Yeah, it, it, I, I kind of hear a little bit of uh, post-Waters Pink Floyd in Not This Time. Yeah, we don't talk about that. We haven't <laughs> talked about that. 
Oh, okay, so we don't acknowledge <laughs> that there was a Pink Floyd after Roger Waters on this podcast. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, we do. But but uh, <laughs> I actually haven't listened to any of it. Yeah, to, I, to I haven't listened frank. to it nearly as much as, you know, the, like the Golden Era stuff and the weird 60s stuff before that. I, there's some cool stuff on there. I fucking love the Division Bell. I think the Division Bell is great as well. High uh, Hopes is one of the greatest songs that Pink Floyd ever made. <laughs> yeah. Pink, I uh, also think Learning to Fly is a great song. I yeah. usually get goosebumps listening to that one. Yeah, I love the Foo Fighters. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything more to talk about? I mean... There's lots more yeah, to have, talk about, a, but I'm tired. We, so. we have a tour coming up. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. We yeah, we do have a tour coming up. Let's plug that real fast. It's uh, March 9th, right? Not fifth, yes, like you said it, earlier. Yeah, it starts March 9th mm-hmm. in Essen in Germany. Germany. And we go At all over. Tour-lock. We're gonna we're gonna be in Copenhagen. We're gonna be in London. We're gonna be in uh, Antwerp. Uh, Antwerp. Barcelona. Yeah. All the German cities. All all over the place. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, all over the place in this tiny f- t- tiny fraction of Europe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, this this tour is with Orphan Land. It's a 30th anniversary tour, so gonna be about yes. five weeks of madness, and can't wait to see you there if if you decide to come and see us. Thanks for listening to the podcast, and uh, as always, you can reach us on uh, Facebook and Instagram, particularly those two. Um, yeah, catch you later. Bye. Bye, bye, baby.